0: Ladies and gentlemen, this is Entitled Weekend.
1: Well, welcome to Entitled Weekend. Don't call it a comeback. We've been here for a year. But, um, we're back. It's uh, a three month break and right in the middle of training camp. Uh, we've got Bill here and I'm Shaq, obviously, and Joe's here. And we've got Rob, who's a, a very one of our nice emailers from the Entitled Podcast Network. And to, today, uh, guys, I'm, I'm really excited. Training camp just kicked off. And but I want to start off with I, I guess this isn't really a, a, a training camp topic. But it's just an overall topic. The Mothership guys talked about how about Mac Jones and specifically what they think that what they think that he's going to be. But I want to talk about these idiots who are talking about Mac Jones' ceiling, because I've never before Mac I had never heard the word ceiling described for any NFL player ever. And for for those of you who don't know. Ceilings in sports don't exist. There's no limit to how bad or how great his career or any, especially a rookie, anyone's career could be. So, Bill, what do you think about this trend that, and it is a a trend, it's a stupid trend, with ceilings and how, you know, this word is just the, the chic word to use to denigrate Matt Jones and
0: his career. Right. I mean, I've heard ceiling thrown around for some players in year eight. It's, it's we're dealing with a, a second year quarterback who worked with a throwing guru in the offseason and has come out looking more toned, more physically prepared for NFL football than he was the previous year. He physically looks the part. He was mentally capable of the part as a rookie. How we're talking about a ceiling is idiotic. And we also have to acknowledge that most of the weapons he was throwing to, and, you know, weapons season, uh, it, it was one their first year in the system as well for your Hunter Henrys, your Janu Smiths, your Kendrick Bournes. There was a lot of people who it was their very first year as well, and that's going to have to be a transitional year. The fact he threw what he did in really 16 games plus the wind bowl and he was able to, you know, throw successfully against a lot of top defenses and was able to lead this team to a playoff berth, should tell you that there is not a ceiling to yet be found with Mac Jones. And I think that what we need to keep in mind as we watch for his development is that people will continue to say, well, this has to be a ceiling. Well, this has to be a ceiling. Well, this has to be a ceiling, much like Brady's inevitable cliff that people are still waiting for that we heard about for the better part of a decade. It's, that, it's the buzzwords people use. They're either going to drop off and be worse or they can't possibly get better. And those are the only two arguments that people have. And the only thing you have to remember, if you're a Pats fan with any sort of logic in you that knows that Mac Jones is going to be better year two than he was year one, the only thing you have to remember is that you're saying that he has the potential to be better. When you say he hasn't reached the ceiling, it's not he will be better, he will be great, he will be Tom Brady, because that's where they go with the argument, is that, oh, well, he's not going to be Tom Brady, so he can't, you know, he sucks. All you're saying is that he's going to improve, and he's going to work to be better. Those people are only right if he never gets any better. He throws one more yard, he throws one more touchdown, he throws the ball faster, he throws better balls with positioning, then he has improved and is therefore beating this whole he's already reached his ceiling narrative. So as soon as you see him do something he couldn't have done year one, all of the people saying he's reached a ceiling are wrong.
2: Yeah, and I mean, going off of that, I think I think the term ceiling um, obviously comes from a place of fear, I think, in terms of the media and other fan bases and even ours. Um, People are going to lose their minds if Mac Jones is good. He made the Pro Bowl last year. I mean, I realize, I understand the circumstances of it. I mean, he might have been like the sixth backup to make it, but he made the Pro Bowl. And, and, and saying that he's got a ceiling is, is them praying and, and fingers crossed for them that he's not good. Um, if the Patriots are good again and Belichick can prove to develop another quarterback, that's going to blow so many narratives up right it's either one way or the other it's either team belichick or team brady it's either mac is great or mac's going to suck it's it's not we're going to wait and see it's not we're going to see in 10 years it's it's right in the moment and and i saw two ends of the mac jones spectrum today which is just another way of, of maybe how the media manipulates people into thinking or how to think about mac jones um Obviously, the ceiling talk and the lack of weapons. But then a day after Kyler Murray signed his mega extension, there was talking points about how the Patriots are going to have to pay Mac Jones $200 million. And it was like, holy crap. Can we can we live in any sort of moment? Like it's year two. It's either yesterday it was he sucks and his ceiling is so low. And, and today it's, oh, the Patriots are going to have to pay him and they're going to have to cheap out. They're going to ruin. They're gonna, It's going to be it's just it's exhausting, and it, it kind of it encapsulates what we what we always preach on a on a podcast basis. And it's like it's literally one day at a time, but that's not how it works in our in our media. Um, it's thirty seconds at a time, and it's the sky is falling, and it's the Patriots are going to do this or do that, or Mac's going to suck, and it's I'm sure as you guys know, it's just exhausting. And
1: and Rob, I was saying to these guys in in our chat when you know Bill Belichick is saying all of these uh, uh, plaudits about Mac Jones and of course everybody and including that idiot Ross Tucker, you know, who, you know, had barely a cup of coffee. He had like a sliver of coffee for the Patriots. Um, but he's saying, oh, well, he praised Matt Jones more than he's ever praised Tom Brady in 20 years, which is <laughs> demonstrably not true. And the receipts prove it. And I, I was eager to point that out with the, uh, Special that he hosted with Tom Brady, telling him how great he was to his face. But you know, of course, you can't have can't have that. But also the fact that <laughs> maybe Bill Belichick is evolving as a person. Maybe he's a manath- Maybe he's a master, a, uh, a a master motivator in the fact that he can adapt to any type of player in any type of position. So I, I don't know. But you, of course, you can't have that happen because you know Belichick isn't. Uh, Dan Campbell and, you know, he isn't farting, farting up a storm for the campus.
3: Yeah. I mean, when I saw that Ross Tucker take, I just shook my head that that takes been around forever. That Brady never. I mean, that Belichick never, you know, complimented Brady. Bill Belichick staked his entire career on Tom Brady in 2001 because he thought he was good enough. The simple thing, the easy thing to do in 2001 was when Drew Bledsoe was healthy. He could have moved Drew Bledsoe back into the starting lineup. And even if they lost that season, it would have been, in the media's eyes, the right decision. Instead, he went with, he saw something in Tom Brady and said, This guy is the one who can lead us where we want to go. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, so he, to me, that's the ultimate compliment. To say nothing of all the, the clips that you showed, the one from the NFL Network special and all the other things, but the ultimate compliment is, I'm going to put everything on the line and put all my eggs in your basket and let you lead me to the promised land. And guess what? Belichick was right, which is the thing the media hates more than anything on this earth, is that Bill Belichick was right. And the other problem I see with, uh, you know, I I think when you hear these narratives, they're actively for Mac Jones to fail.
1: Yeah, they want him to fail because – if he fails, then Bill Belichick fails. And if Bill Belichick fails, then, you know, jackpot. That's for the media. It, it, it's, they, their, their narrative has finally been proven. Belichick was nothing without Brady, and it means nothing. But I have a couple clips that I want to play that, well, first of all, uh, tell you everything you need to know. Now, this first clip I want to play is Matt Jones himself explaining that. You know, all this talk about, oh, who's the coordinator? Who's, who's going to call the plays? We need to know this because if we don't know who calls the play, then nothing else in life matters. But Matt Jones is talking in this clip specifically how Bill Belichick and Matt Patricia are teaching him how to attack a defense from their defensive perspective. Now, when I play this clip, ignore this idiot kid who apparently has no parents who's yelling for Matt Jones. But just listen to Matt explain this. But but again, ignore it, the kid. Yeah, I think um,
4: obviously Coach Belichick's done a great job kind of explaining exactly what we want to do as an offense and Matty P's seen so many different defenses along with Coach uh, Belichick, so it's like they combine their knowledge of how to attack the defense and that's something that's really stood out to me. Um they're great guys who you know, coach judge, they all bring this different energy to the room when they're presenting. So um, they all are trying to get us to work together that's a good you know support as as we're all on the same page regardless of who's talking, who's making the decision on a play or whatnot. It's always an open conversation which I love. Do you feel ownership? in terms of, hey, they're, they're coming to me to please, they're yeah. listening to me. Yeah, at the end of the day, the player's playing, the coach's coaching, you want to listen to the good coaching that you can get from three coaches who have all been head coaches, so they see a ton and ton of football and that's what I'm just trying to take in is what is something that each one of them says in a meeting that I can take with me, whether that's about life or football, and it apply to the game. And um, so They all bring a different perspective, but I feel like you know, listening to the players. they kind of like this concept. pilots try it. Or if they don't you know, want to put in something else, they explain the why. And that's the important part for me is understanding why we're doing something. And from there, as a player, my job is to go execute the plays. How different voices when it comes to play How is it to be security?
1: Yeah, I think plays are playing Yeah, so basically what he's saying is, if if you couldn't hear it, is that... These guys are teaching him how to, how to, how to basically transfer transfer his knowledge, transfer their knowledge of defense, and making sure that it's where for the offense. And personally, I really wonder if that's also goes with the streamlining to better accommodate other offensive pieces. You know, because they feel like they're part of their core, like Jonus Smith and Devontae Parker. And Kendrick Bourne, you know, it, they're trying to get these guys comfortable and productive, and then build up the complex complexity. Because with the previous regime, with Josh McDaniels and all that, it was it, it was probably you know five different <laughs> five uh, uh, what, what are those binders, you know, full full of full of plays. And now they probably just threw all those binders out, and let's just here's here's like a piece of here's like a clipboard of all the plays, and just make these. And over time, then we'll see things travel, and that's what training camp is for. What what do you think about that, Bill?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that this is where we can give, and I'm going to be cautious in how I phrase this because we don't want to give too much, but this is where we can give some credit to the Cam Newton era. I believe that seeing Cam Newton struggle with integrating the offense and his difficulty with picking up the playbook. Now, note he joined late; he didn't have the benefit of a full preseason. All of that in his in the year he played, it is a str- that was a struggle for him. I think they identified that, and then seeing Mac pick up the playbook and doing well with it, but understanding that he probably is a younger quarterback developing his understanding of the NFL game on whole would be more successful running a more simplified version of their offense with faster get to the line more opportunity to read defense at the line quickly, which then also allows him to use the understanding he's pulling in from Belichick, Patricia, judge at all, and being able to take that and run with it um, in dissecting the defense and using that knowledge. And then as time goes along, re complexity to the offense that Cam can, uh, rather that Matt can run. So, I, you know, I, I don't want to overstate that, like, the Cam Newton error was necessary or, you know, that it was like, you know, this game changer for them. But I think it gave them an inkling towards what might make the most successful development for Mac Jones after Josh McDaniels did depart. And it might have made the most sense for why he chose to depart at this
2: stage in the game. Yeah, Phil, I think that's a great way of, of putting it. Um, I also think, um, Mac coming from a pro style offense in college, also aids and aids in this transition as well. Um, and I think I saw a quote this week that Mac had said that they've simplified the offense and, and gotten to the line quicker, as you said, and snapping the ball, getting rid of the ball quickly. Um, obviously things that made Brady successful here. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't care who calls the place. I really don't. I kind of hope Steve Belichick calls the place so everyone freaks out. It'd be <laughs> hilarious if Steve Belichick calls the place, but
1: he's calling the play with his tongue, <laughs> tongue out and that's all I need.
2: Nepotism at its finest, right? <laughs> um, but no, like everything we've heard from Mac from, from a progressing standpoint, I don't think I've, I've seen any report even from the most negative people that Mac is regressing in any form. Um, there was even clips of him throwing touchdown balls to Devontae Parker where looked Crisp, um, I know that they're making a big thing of him having one bad day of practice at training camp, but, but who cares? It's seven on sevens. There's no pads. Um, just trying to get some early chemistry with these guys. But, but yeah, I mean, I do take in stock the fact that there are there's three former or Belichick and then two former head coaches in, in max brain trust right there. I mean, yeah, they weren't, they weren't successful as head coaches, but, but they're still going to have the experience and, 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 and know what to do um, in, from that standpoint. So I think, I think there's a lot to be excited for and I am looking forward to this offense. Um, and something that I'm going to be paying attention to a lot is the, the omission of a fullback on this roster. And I'm looking to see what they do on for the offense. And I think it's going to, it's just going to be exciting. It's an exciting time and I'm looking forward to Mac kicking ass.
1: Hey Rob, what do you think?
3: Yeah, I totally agree. And kind of trampolining again off of what Bill said, um, I also think Mac Jones is, from everything I've seen and read, is abnormally smart. He was speaking Mandarin Chinese in a press conference the other day. You know, he's had Nick Saban as a head coach in college. Now he's got Belichick as a head coach in the NFL. Um, and it was pretty clear last year Belichick was comfortable putting a lot on him, think knowing that he felt like he could handle it, you know. And he, I thought he, he handled it extraordinarily well. I mean – It got to the point where when the mediates were trying to criticize Mac Jones last year, they would always have to omit the fact that he's a rookie because that was the only way that his statistics could line up with the narrative that he wasn't any good considering he put up, I believe it was the seventh-best rookie season in NFL history. You know, Patrick Mahomes couldn't even get on the field his rookie year. Tom Brady, because Bledsoe was in front of him, but Tom Brady wasn't on the field his rookie year. You know, most of these guys who are on the field their rookie year, go look at Peyton Manning's rookie stats. You know, they were not pretty. You know what I mean? Like, and so to see what Mac Jones did in his rookie year was, to me, it was jaw-dropping watching him play. Did he run out of gas towards the end of the year? Kind of looked like he did. He might, you know, he was probably a little dinged up, wasn't used to playing 17 games. But as you guys said earlier, he spent the entire offseason flying around the country to every single receiver, even the guys on the practice squad, working out with them, finding out what they like, you know, um, working out. He looks great. He's, when I was just, uh, telling Shaq before we jumped on here that I was at training camp, the first two days of training camp, you can see he just has this this new sort of confidence about him. He's not like standing behind a, a shadow like Cam Newton, who's a you know a larger-than-life figure, especially for a rookie. It's his offense. He knows it. He's much more vocal. He's much more comfortable. He's The ball's coming out fast. He's firing it. The, the places – I mean, the, the excitement at camp among the players, uh, this was the fifth or sixth year we've gone. I've never seen anything like it, you know, and Mac Jones was, was part of it. You know, he was running down to the end zone after touchdown passes and they were doing the jump up in the air, you know, banging hips together and all that kind of thing. It was like, it was insane. You know, I'm, I'm beyond excited to see what he does in year two. And it's going to be even more interesting to see, to watch the media, kinda of spin themselves into pretzels to try and convince us that what we're seeing isn't what we're seeing, you know, because <laughs> they, they do it every year. They try to convince us that they know better than Bill Belichick about how to draft and develop a football team for crying out loud. So it's going to be, I think I'm really looking forward to this season and really looking forward to seeing year two of Mac Jones. I think it's going to be special. So
1: It's going to be awesome. And what's going to be even more awesome is watching all of these people. And it really is just, it's mediates and opposing teams fans, which I guess you you have to expect that, but it's just it's just so vitriolic the the the, the hatred for Mac Jones. I I I'd never thought that, uh, it, it, and and he's no 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 shade to him, of course. He's such a milk toast personality. Like he's he's not you know told he's not all on and you know out there for people. You know like a like a uh like Mahomes' brother, like, you know, that douchebag. He's not like that. He's just a guy. He's just playing football. But for somebody like that, like, he just has so much hate. And it really, I think it it is fear, like Joe said. It is, a lot of it has to do with they thought that of, of all five quarterbacks, of rookie quarterbacks taken in 2021, Matt Jones turned out to be the best one by all intents and purposes, and that just wasn't. Supposed to happen. It was supposed to be Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence, the number one pick. It wasn't supposed to be Matt Jones, but it is. And, but he still has to be bad. So I guess what these mediates are doing is they have to continue the narrative. And so if you, as long as you, and like I said on, on a previous show, it's the Mandela effect. If you repeat it, repeat something often enough, it becomes fact, even though it's not. And we were talking about, uh, before about Bill Belichick helping matt jones in his development if anybody knows about development and how he can much Bill Belichick can help that when i look back
4: at that time
3: it was a really gross stage part of my career it was a development of you know myself as a player but also as a person off the field and i was soaking up all the information and even today, I look at some of these young players and they're like, what do you think of this guy in his third year or fourth year? And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, he's talented, but who's going to teach him
4: how to evolve and grow? Who's going to assist him in his learning of what football is all about, what his knowledge is? As soon as he made the ball ready for play, after the 10-second runoff, he wound the clock. All right, so you want to make all the point outs and everything in Omaha and go, right? I had Coach Belichick there to
3: teach me every Tuesday we would meet and go through the entire defensive starting lineup and their strengths and weaknesses what we could attack what he was watching and how I could see the things that he saw so I could gain confidence and anticipate
1: Tom was very blessed because he had structure for his career and that's what coach Belichick gives you he gives you structure and he gives you expectations and he knows the game and he's going to surround Tom with players that are are willing, unselfish guys, guys that are willing to put the team first and that's how you win if that doesn't get you pumped up number one, then I don't know what will, and then secondly the situations are parallel you know what I mean, it Bill Belichick surrounded Matt Jones with guys who know they're not they're not Julio Jones at age 59, but they're Kendrick Bourne. They're they're guys they're guys like Devontae Parker who I think he's going to dramatically change the way this offense is. He's a guy who can catch the ball at the point of attack and attack the ball pretty much. So it, 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 the situations are parallel. So for me, I, I'm excited for that, but. What I'm not excited for is I I love training camp. I love seeing all the videos. I love seeing all the reports. What I don't like is all of these um, mediates with these training camp stats and reports. And a good buddy, uh, Kevin Peters, tweeted out, (laughs) uh, training camp reports are useless. And they pretty much are. I mean, it makes no sense with, with these stats, with, oh, they went, uh, uh, Matt Jones was twenty twenty 25, and, uh, Br- was 0 of twenty five, and Bailey Zappi was 0 Okay, I mean, I remember specifically a, a there was a practice against the Eagles last year in Philadelphia. You know, if if you asked them that guy, Elliot Shore, then you would think that you know the Patriots got absolutely owned in the practice, but um, that wasn't the case. But there was a practice last with Cam. He threw a bad interception. He was asked about it, and he said it was. And then he said, "Well, it was a two-minute drill. It was third and 19. He said he just threw, threw it up so somebody can get it. Now, on paper, or on Twitter, you see Cam Newton threw an interception. And look, this is not me. This is not me defending Cam Newton at all, because you know he's 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 a thing of the past. But those type of situations, we just don't know through the numbers. And especially from the stands, we can never take those numbers into account. So, I um, want to know what you guys think about the training camp stats. Like, are they are they useless? Because to me,
0: I think they really are. Those stats are equivalent to passer rating. They don't tell the story of what's actually happening on the field. There are certain, you know, they're putting them in the situation, circumstances, and sometimes it's not just the fans who don't know or not just the, you know, people we see on Twitter that the media might not know what they whispered to, you know, Mac before the play. Hey, Mac, think of this as a fourth down. You've got to put the ball up, you know, so you can't take the sack. You can't just run it and you can't throw it into the ground. Um so, you know, today I think he threw a, a cross field pick six to Kyle Duggar. We don't know what the circumstances were of that situation um for Mac and what he was told to be doing. Gotta, you know, if it's a have to have it situation, end of game, what have you. So they their crap. What I think is relevant is how people move the communication components of it and the ability to put a ball in the right, for Mac to put a ball in the right spot and for receivers to be able to make adjustments to it. Um, You know, so I think coverage being sticky is something that's been a trend over the first couple days. And I think a lot of people have been surprised by that. Um, When you've seen plays that have been made in the offenses, like one, it's really been about the positioning of the ball or the ability of the receiver to make an adjustment physically. And the fact that Mac is able to put balls that in places where only the receiver can get it or only the tight end can get it in, you know, tight red zone situations is a, already a improvement, which again, going back to the beginning, throws the ceiling argument out the window because he's making throws that he wasn't making last year. Those are, we specifically struggled in the red zone because of ball positioning. Um, And so now you're seeing some of that where he's able to put that more routinely in the early stages of camp. Will it change with pads? Something we have to look out for, but the the mechanics look better, and things like you know me- mechanics, technique, and communication are really the keys over the stats that come
2: out of training camp. I think, obviously, this is the first time we've seen Patriots football in eight months, and unfortunately, I follow a large list of Patriots beat writers on Twitter, um, and having it be the first Patriots that we Football that we see in eight months is is this insane over analysis of like whatever they're doing. I mean, I understand it's great. Terrence Mitchell's the first guy out of practice. I don't need to see six tweets in a row that Terrence Mitchell first guy out of practice carrying pads. I don't give a damn. I don't. I, I care about the things Bill just pointed out, right? How Max' arm looks, communication, um, receivers, put, um, with the hands, putting the ball in the right spot. Um, Situational football, who's who's taking kick returns, stuff stuff like that. I don't need to see that Mac was 11 of 12 and seven on sevens. That's great. That's unbelievable. Fantastic. I don't need to see 17 of those tweets on my timeline and people overanalyzing it. It's great. Patriots football's back, but training camp is not for for passer rating. It's not for completion percentage. It's for the small intangible things. Kind of to make a baseball reference, it's it's like spring training, right? And they do the drill where the pitcher covers first base and just small stuff like that that you don't really think about. Training camp is is important for for seeing um, max communication, max arm, um, O-line um, lineups, who's, who's starting on the O-line and where, uh, like the win and Trent Brown switch is, is interesting. Um, where the corners are lining up, I don't care about the stats. I really don't care. And I don't really care who the first offensive lineman on the field is. They're all just leaving from the locker room. I don't understand the over-analysis of absolutely everything. I know it's, I know it's slow in sports media these days, but I, if, if Felger and Matt spent two hours talking about Mac Jones's stats and numbers that Evan Lazar reported, it's just like, what the, what the hell are we doing? Rob,
1: are you concerned that, uh, Tyquan Thornton is, uh, catching punts or, or, or what?
3: (laughs) I am not concerned at all. Uh, and I think what you guys hit on is exactly right—the omission of context, which is what we were talking about earlier. You know, Terrence Mitchell could have been the first guy out on the field because he was the first corner in the group to get to the urinal before they got out, and he—everybody else was still taking a leap, and he was on his way out to the field. Like, we don't know that; they don't know that. But it's just something to tweet. It's pay attention to me, pay attention to me, that sort of thing. I—I um, I look for the same things you guys look for. Um, like I thought it was interesting that uh, Tyquan Thornton was lining up with the uh, the starting receivers when they would break off and the first string was over here and the second string was over here. Tyquan Thornton was over with the first string, which I thought was kind of encouraging. Um, I don't remember, with the exception of probably Mac Jones, a, a Patriots rookie that I am looking and really really hoping performs well, other than Tyquan Thornton, because they're already starting it. They're already starting the well, they should have taken him nonsense, and it's driving me up the wall. Like, Phil Perry had this tweet that I found that almost made me drive off the road. So Phil Perry was responding to Kevin Clark of The Ringer, if he's still with The Ringer, who was lauding George Pickens in um, Steelers camp as, you know, the best player on the field in Steelers camp, blah, blah, blah. And, of course, Phil Perry couldn't resist. So Phil Perry tweets it and says – Hickens, taken 52 overall, will be one of those receivers people in New England always have one eye on. He was in that group of wideouts who went right after Tyquan Thornton, along with Indy's Alex Pierce and Casey Skymore. So we're already doing that. He's had two practices, and we're already, well, they should have taken that guy. They're, they want him to fail so badly so that they can put the paddles to the chest of that the Patriots can't draft wide receivers narrative. And I want Tyquan Thornton to go out there and have 1,800 yards receiving and be the fastest guy. The, I just – I'm really, really hoping he becomes, you know, just the next star just to shut these people up. Well, I won't shut them up, but it'll make me feel better. But that's kind of what I look for when I look in, uh, at training camp. When, I, when we were there is I look for who's lining up with who. I look for who seems kind of mentally checked in, which they all seem to be um, – you know, who's hurt? Like, you saw James White on the sideline. He didn't look very healthy. So, okay, well, who's lining up as that sort of pass-catching back? Who are we going to get if James White can't play for the first eight weeks? You know, that's the stuff that I want to see, you know, and it's, it seems to be the things that we want to see are the things that never get reported. <laughs> so.
1: And that's the problem. The the the, uh, the fans, well, at least the the. The fans that have two brain cells are interested in what the makeup of the team and what is, what is being, how it's being constructed. I, I find that fascinating, but unfortunately, that isn't fascinating in today's media world. And speaking of today's media world, uh, we have to talk about uh, people who just seem to be, especially people on Twitter who, First of all, the number one trend on Twitter is putting NFL next to your name, which makes you seem very credible. If you put the the letters NFL next to your name, that means you're an NFL person and you should be listened to. But I say that because this guy, Jarrett Bailey, it, for, for this, this, this is one example, uh, this guy, Jarrett Bailey, has come seemingly out of nowhere. You know, he looks like uh, Dollar Tree Fonzie. Uh, he's, 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 first of all, he makes these standings predictions, you know, a la, uh, was that Chris Sims, who does all those quarterback predictions and whatever? Um, he has, he has both the Patriots and the Dolphins at 6 and 11, which, I mean, and I'm gonna be, I guess I'm gonna be playing this sound effect a lot. They do, do anything for clout. They do anything for clout they do all set was right. These people who they, first of all, when you talk about the Patriots, good way or bad, you're going to get clicks because it's the Patriots. But number two, you have to get your name out there. If you talk about them often. And this guy, I, before last week, I, I had no idea who this guy was, but now here he is. (laughs) The Patriots are going to be six at 11 for, for, and for what reason? And, and, and I want to talk about this, because why do people think the Patriots are going to be this terrible team that's going to be fourth in the division by five games and just absolutely terrible? Matt Jones can improve going back to the to the ceiling thing, and the entire team is terrible. The defense is bad. They have no they have no uh, offensive coordinator, so that means that nobody's going to be calling the plays. And if Bill Belichick is calling the plays, that means it's even worse. Uh, Bill, where 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 do these people get this? I, I really don't understand it.
0: it. It comes. I think it comes back in large part to that fear component that Joe mentioned earlier. People really want it to be true. Um, I think part of it is overreaction to off season moves, where the Patriots notably did not make splashy big money signings. That's not what they did this year. In part because they did a lot of that last year. Um, and then they, you know, also have like $70 million in cap space for next year, but neither here nor there. They're, what they're looking at is how is this team better than it was last year? And they're ignoring the idea of development. And there's several pieces of development here that are really critical to the Patriots success that people who put NFL at the back of their names don't have the brain cells to rub together to be able to understand. The first is Mondre Stevenson. Is he taking over at the lead back? He showed flashes of brilliance, and not that Harris isn't great, but is he taking a more prominent role? Are they going to be a true split this year rather than? Shaq looks like you want to jump in.
1: Sorry, not to interrupt you, but from what's coming out of training camp, and not even just training camp, but from minicamp, he's been working on his pass catching a lot, and Mm -hmm. that guy as a pass catcher is really dangerous to me.
2: Explosive,
0: explosive. Look, that's going to be lethal. That's going to be lethal. So that's one. Christian Barmore, as long as Bedard doesn't let the skeleton out of the closet, there, you know, (laughs) whatever that skeleton was that has been hiding in the shadows, um, then Barmore is going to be a huge. Apparently,
1: apparently that apparently that skeleton is is hiding under with all that skin that he that um Bedard's lost.
0: Yeah, well, you know what, it, where, where it's hiding is with the results of his investigation he was just supposed to announce after the World Series. that. So as soon as he, you know, that that's all will come together in one felt swoop. But bar more than another, he was a monster last year. And with a year of development, a year of understanding, he's going to be even better. And I would argue that the third is the development of the defensive scheme as a whole. Um, I put out the jokey tweet today with Bill Belichick on the cereal box of oops all berries, oops all safeties. That's what this offseason felt like over the last 10 months. He re-signed McCourty. He extended Phillips. He signed Peppers. He brought in Marcus Jones in the draft, who's been taking some reps at safety. There are five, six, seven, maybe even eight guys with Bethel that could be taking snaps on the field designated as safeties. And that's going to be a really interesting amalgamation of defense that we're going to see this year. It feels like a really heavy Nickel or dime package thing could be their, their sort of base defense, which would be an interesting experiment to see. Um, and so because the Pats are looking at those sort of improvements, changing a little bit of how they play, a little bit of what, what they do when they're sort of assessing the defense. And then the improvement of core people, obviously I'm excluding Matt because we talk about that with every other subject today. Um, but with all of those things combined, you could look at a, a, a huge step forward. Now, does that mean that I'm saying the Patriots are the Super Bowl favorites on you know July thirtieth? 20- no, because we have to remember that Mac is a year two quarterback still developing. We're looking for the step forward. We're looking for them to improve and develop, and maybe that shows up in record, maybe that doesn't. Uh, but I think that they are going to be better than they were last year as a team, regardless of the road they have to go through being harder, easier, what have you, the games will line up as they line up. If Mac is better, Barmore is better, Stevenson's better, and the defense lines up in a way that's efficient, I think we're going to be seeing a major jump forward for the 2023 Patriots when they have all this cap space and understanding of what they want to do scheme-wise, a year three quarterback, and a bell cow
2: running back in Stevenson. So, a few things. Every person that's got NFL in their account on Twitter, um, obviously just says this outlandish things about the Patriots, one, to fit in, and I think these people are obviously just afraid to say positive things about the Patriots, because I guess in the media, when you want to be successful, it doesn't work, um which sucks honestly but but yeah no people who just say that shit for for clicks and likes are just begging for attention begging for notoriety the jordan moore's of the world the justin ramos is of the world like your life is has come to just saying outlandish and dumb shit on twitter just so people will yell at you and you might get some clicks or bot followers but nonetheless um patriots development right so it's funny how two years ago uh, the free agency spending was. Teams are never successful when they spend that much money. Free agency is not a way to build a team. Patriots are shelling out way too much money. Fast forward twelve months later, the Patriots make smart, inexpensive moves: pick swap for Devonte Parker, one-year prove-it deals for Jabril Peppers, um, bringing in guys like. Um, I'm losing my train of thought on that, but there there is. I'm, Terrence Mitchell, Malcolm Butler, those one-year guys, smart depth pieces for guys that maybe aren't big splashes, and now it's the Patriots are cheap, the Patriots, everyone else has unlimited cap space, why can't the Patriots spend on guys I've heard of? People freaked out when, when Leonard Fournette came in for a visit. People were like, oh my god, Leonard Fournette, oh my god, Leonard Fournette, we need him. You know the name, you didn't know he'd come to camp at 260 pounds, like, it's but, they, but it's so in the moment thinking and like, what did I just hear on the radio? Because I have to say it as my own opinion. It's those people, like we were talking before the show, bottom feeders of just basic shitty takes. And they take those on as their own persona. Look at what you're looking at. The Patriots are going to improve. We were talking about the safeties. A guy we I think we missed. Kyle Duggar is going to be was unbelievable last year. I think it was our leading tackle last year. Um, he's going to be great again. He was fantastic in coverage last year and against the run. Um, Adrian Phillips is always solid. I like the signing of Drew Burrow. Peppers, it's going to it's going to give them more flexibility of what they want to do on defense. Ramondre Stevenson was fantastic last year, right? Damian Harris was great last year too. And this guy, Pierre Strong, they drafted. He might even be their best pass catching back when he comes back healthy. It's they, the amount of depth they have of, of really good players is is being understated, and. And going off on when the Patriots didn't do enough in free agency this year, people were freaking out that the AFC got so much better, right? But in the NFL, it's so different than, than let's say, the NBA. When you acquire a superstar and it, it come to the East, it's actually it's a problem, right? NFL is week to week, one game playoffs, anything can happen, any given Sunday, right? It's all about matchups. It's not even about acquiring talent. It is all about how teams match up with one another. I'm not going to say here in 2019 when we when we beat the Chiefs in the ASU championship game, I think we were probably what underdogs by a touchdown or so. We matched up incredibly well with that team, and Belichick always makes the right calls in terms of coverage against Tyreek Hill or 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 what have you, right? And we won. We went to Arrowhead and and, and won. Like it's it's a week to week thing, and the NFL is is the creme de la creme of media overreacting to to small. In consequential events right i like i think tyree Hill going to the dolphins and signing a massive deal is is obviously going to be overanalyzed and whatever he's making a ton of money i don't even think it moves the dolphins needle that much at all i really don't i think it's like if, if that happened in the nba obviously superstar power is different it's a totally different game but it's just the nfl is so much about developing young talent maximizing matchups, and that is what the Patriots have been so good at for so long. It's not about acquiring massive wide receiver names. It's not about getting Odell Beckham Jr. It's not about anything else besides Belichick making the right decision on a day-to-day basis, and he's done that for so long, and people get so lost in the media telling them that they're not doing enough, and it's just the juxtaposition between reactions between this year's free agency and offseason and two years ago is hilarious.
3: Yeah, I yeah, totally agree with everything you guys have said. Um, and you know, I, when it go going back to the Twitter guys you were talking about, Shaq, I don't. I think the only people more annoying than guys with NFL in their Twitter bio are the Twitter film study guys who put up little clips and tell you that they're breaking film down. It, it, those are the worst guys in the world because they're essentially the equivalent to the guy, the corner drunk at the bar stool in the sports bar telling you he knows everything. That's the same idea. But um, the, the heading into this season, the one narrative that's really driving me bananas is, about the Patriots' development is on the defensive side of the ball, and it's being trumpeted by Tom Curran. He's the worst of the worst with this. He talks about how they didn't force Buffalo to punt in the playoff game. But he fails to mention that Matt Judon had a torn groin. Christian Barmore was playing on one knee. Jalen Mills didn't play. Kyle Duggar had a broken hand and a cast on his right hand that was bigger than his head. And on one of the touchdown passes, he had to reach across his body with his good hand and just couldn't get there in time. So that was as banged up a defense as there possibly was. But even with the end playing against an, an incredibly good opponent, you know, that Bill's team was it wasn't like that was just some flash in the pan sort of team. That was a good offense. You you can't go into uh, into Buffalo and play that offense as banged up as they were and expect to be competitive. And for what it's worth, I thought Mack played really well in that game. But um, so but I also think that Belichick identified when he looked at that team. I think he, he goes into seasons and goes into off-seasons and team building, and he says, okay, which teams are going to be the biggest obstacles, and what do I have to put on my side of the ball in order to line up against them and be a good matchup? I think the last few years, he was building a team to match up against the Kansas City Chiefs, and I think he did a really good job about with that. And even when they went into Arrowhead on a Monday night with Brian Hoyer as the quarterback, they probably should have won that game, if you really think about it. I mean, they, you know, Belichick shut that offense down again you know again and Hoyer I think turned the ball over inside the 20 yard line twice Mahomes got strip sacked and they didn't you know they blew the call I mean they were all over the Chiefs and I think now what he's doing is he's looking at the Buffalo Bills and he's saying what I had on the field last year wasn't the right defense in order to go toe-to-toe with a team with a guy like Josh Allen who's you know, they're they're designing runs for him. He's got a cannon for an arm. He's unlike anything we really have to deal with. So I get and he's in my division, so I gotta figure something out. So what does he do? He does exactly what you guys said. He he gets the the slower sort of aging guys, the the high towers, who I love, one of my all-time favorite patriots. But you know, his prime is is gone. He's not the he doesn't have the foot speed anymore to, to go up against the Josh Allen and a, the you know, that Bills team. Dan Oyse, same idea. He needs to get younger. He needs to get faster. And if the linebackers out there don't exist, he'll put five safeties on the field. You know, he'll put five. He'll put Jabril Peppers out there. He'll put Phillips out there. Duggar, McCordy. He'll put all these guys out there that can line up against these guys. And then he'll have a Cam McGrone, a Josh Uche, a Matt Judon. And now all of a sudden you look at that team and you're like, wow, they're a little faster than they were last, you know? <laughs> it's like, gee, you think Belichick might know what he's doing? Hmm. You know, and it's like you, you it's it's mind boggling to me. It's mind boggling to me that these that these mediates don't see, like if I can see that they have to see that. I mean, there are ones that are just they have an IQ of in single digits, the Andy Hearts of the world who shouldn't be all out of the house without a crash helmet on. But then there's other guys out there who, you know, who are smart enough to know this, smart enough to see this. Tom Curran knows this. Bill Perry knows this. Why do they have to be so disingenuous in their reporting? Why that's what goes just that's what goes up my ass is why do they have to be so disingenuous about their reporting?
1: you know Rob, Rob, that that was an excellent point that you made about the linebackers because specifically, yeah, it was excellent because specifically and and, and again, it doesn't make sense like that the linebackers are being talked about like these guys are don't don't exist. Uh, Ronnie Perkins, who a lot of people aren't talking about. He might possibly fill that KVN role. Cam McGrown, who might not possibly be a high tower esque, but possibly, but maybe he might be. Um that Chase Winovich type of type of guy. Mac Wilson, who they signed. So it, there are a lot of guys that I'm looking forward to paying attention to. And like you said, Rob, it makes no sense why we as as you know lay fans. Are are, are paying attention to it closely Than the people who are paid to do it And speaking of people who are paid To do things um, And and mediates uh, You have You have these simps out there Who are just Unbelievably Distracted by the squirrel And when I talk about squirrel I'm talking specifically about Mike McDaniel Of the Miami Dolphins And my god Omar Kelly is like, (laughs) he's he's posting pictures of, wow, look, Weezy check, Weezy check, and look, looking at his sneakers and all this stuff. It's like, my God, like, like if, 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 if if he could drink his cum smoothie, I think he might, because it's, it's unbelievable. And I've never seen anything like it, honestly. Have you, have you guys? Because it's just unbelievable. And, and, and it's every day it, with Mike McDaniel, easy Tick. Mike McDaniel took a selfie with me. Mike McDaniel wants to have a beer with me. Mike McDaniel wants to sleep with me. Uh, what is it about this guy in particular that these mediates are falling in love with? Is it the fact that he's this cool with them? Like, is that what you have to do? Do you have to, like, say, uh, do, do you have to, you know, wear iced out sneakers and, and sing, I don't know, sing Kendrick Lamar to be cool? Is that what it is now?
0: No, I I think what it really comes down to is that they want their coach to be cool so bad that they are going to overemphasize the cool factor. And I've got no, listen, I've got no problem with Mike McDaniel. Wear what you want, do what you want. Like, if you want to take selfies, like, he can do what he wants as the head coach. He's earned that opportunity. Go out and do you if you want to run that way. But you see it with um, you see it with the Lions and I'm blank Campbell, Dan Campbell. You see it with him as well in a different way. Where it's every hard o example that Dan Campbell gives is like, oh, such a football guy, such a cool football guy. And then this is, you know, where He does push ups. Right. He does push ups for every loss they had last year. And then with McDaniel, it's everything everything's so buttery. You know, the shoes are so but I'm sorry, personally, you know, maybe I'm out of touch with clothing, which is probably the more likely of the options, but I thought those shoes sucked. (laughs) I thought the shoes he was describing were just not good looking shoes.
2: They were buttery.
0: Like, did he he accidentally fall into butter beforehand? Is this some sort of like prank that the, that the dolphins media pulls on the new coach, like butter shoes or something? I, I don't know, but I, it's just regardless, like it's this whole thing where everybody wants their coach to be cool. The Rex Ryan you know, with the Jets back in the day, you know, let's go have a goddamn snack. How many times did we hear that? It's, we want the Hardo football cool, or we want, like, the sleek, we're cool to be in his orbit because he's so cool, which is what the Miami media is doing with McDaniel right now. And, I, again, I want to be clear, has nothing to do with the guy. I actually like him as a, as a coaching hire. I think he could be a good coach. I just, I, I think the, you know, media portrayal of him right now is ridiculous and honestly probably takes away a little bit from like you know the coach the person you know it it's it's all about swag and not about like let's get to work because when you're hearing them talk about the work it's is Tua going to be able to handle it it's the miami twitter account you know using photoshop to like you know splice together clips to be able to show a, a connection between tua and hill that is like make a five yard pass look like a 50 yard pass And it's just this, you know, the, the, what they portray for the football side and what they portray for him as a person seem to be two different things. And I think that's a discredit to him, honestly, like lump it all together. Let him like elevate what he's talking about with the football. Don't elevate his sneakers. He's earned that chance. Talk about him.
2: It is an incessant cringe fest with those tweets last week, this past week. Um, Patriots media have uh, obviously have this such disdain for for Bill Belichick because they always claim he gives us nothing. He gives us nothing. However, I, I want to counter that in saying Bill Belichick is probably the most interesting coach in the NFL. I want my I want my coach to do things that are impressive on the football field. I want my coach to win games. I don't want my I mean I don't care if he wears Kanye's, but I am much more interested in my coach winning football games than wearing. Kanye West sneakers like I'm sure Mike McDaniel is a cool guy whatever seems kind of nerdy but the media having an infatuation with him I don't understand like why one do I care about Omar Kelly's opinion of his head coach secondly let him win some football games first let him win some football games I mean even if we had god forbid we had Mike McDaniel as opposed to Bill Belichick I don't think that our media would be reporting him as buttery. I bet our media would be reporting to him as unexperienced, inexperienced, too young, too big of a spotlight. Right. So it's all about perspective and and what the difference is in media, but. Oh my God, we don't need the daily fit checks. It's it's so cringe. Like, I could go on and on, go on and on about this, but if, if I was a Patriots media member, I would find obviously Bill Belichick incredibly interesting. And I find I would find it incredibly easy to write stuff about Bill Belichick and his experience and what he does on a week to week basis, instead of just saying he sucks. He's washed. It's team Brady. Belichick, the credit for the dynasty is all Brady. Belichick stinks. He's a bill. The GM kills bill. The coach bill only signs his friends. Bill only does this bill only does that. I'm sure there's other talking points like bill, like, He's going to be the all-time winningest head coach of all time in in a few years. It's going to happen. I've already accepted the fact that it's going to happen. And It's just like, no, well, he sucks. He's terrible. It's all Brady. So I get, that topic just makes me so angry. I could go on and on, but but Rob, I, you've been great. I want to keep hearing you go on. That, that, that last manifesto you had really made my day.
3: Sorry, I get a little wound up about these topics. But um, I think if I were Mike McDaniel, I'd be a little uncomfortable myself. Like, if somebody were tweeting about me like that that I didn't know, I'd be like, can you settle down a little bit, please? This is, you know, a little – it's embarrassing, number one, and I'm a little uncomfortable here, number two. But um, I guess from our perspective as Patriot fans, um, you know, I was kind of happy to see Brian Flores leave Miami because he – was a pain in our ass from the second he got hired there. It was pretty obvious he knew the Patriots inside and out. He knew how their offense functioned. He knew how their defense functioned. He knew how their special teams functioned. That man was paying attention to everything when he was in Foxborough, and he was a thorn in our side. So, you know, Mike McDaniel may be a really good coach. I don't know. I don't know enough about him, but he can't possibly be a bigger thorn in our ass than Brian Flores was. So I was kind of glad to see him go. But um, I think uh, there was a interview on – there's a Pats from the Past podcast. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but they have, you know, old players. And every once in a while, they'll throw somebody, you know, not really related to the team on. And they had um, Ken Burns – not Ken Burns. Um, the, the documentary filmmaker for NFL Films, Kenny Belichick calls him. Ken Rogers, I think his name might be. But they asked him a question. They said, what is it that you admire the most about Bill Belichick? And he had said, you know, his ability – to genuinely not give a shit what anybody thinks about him. Like, everybody says that. Everybody says, oh, I don't care what they think. I don't care what the media thinks. Bill Belichick genuinely doesn't care what the media thinks about him, what they write about him, what they say about him. He does not care. He comes out for his press conferences in his, you know, cut-off holy sweatshirts. And, you know, if they want to write about it, fine. And, you know, it's, to me, one of the more impressive things for him is – The older I get, the less I can suffer morons. And he stands up there day in and day out and looks over a sea of morons who he knows is going to walk out of that room and write or say something that implies that they know more about the NFL and football and team building and coaching than he does. And he does it every day, and he doesn't seem to mind because I don't think he gives a shit what they write. That's the guy I want coaching my team. When you get guys who are placating to the media and trying to be liked, you're in the wrong profession. That's when you wind up drafting Trey Lance instead of Mac Jones because the draft gurus in the media tell you that, well, you know, Trey Lance's ceiling is so much higher than Mac Jones. Let's draft this guy from North Dakota State over this kid who just led Alabama to a national championship. You know, that's when you start making dumb decisions is when you start – placating to, to the media and the people that don't know anything, you know, instead of just doing what you think is right and letting the chips fall where they may, you know, that's why I love having Bill Belichick as a head coach. They could be slobbering all over him. He wouldn't care. They, instead they shit all over him and he doesn't care. That's the guy I want leading the team. That's why I like having him. But if I were Mike McDaniel, I would be like thinking about, it might be restraining order
1: time with this guy. Yeah, they need they need to get get <laughs> confiscate Omar Kelly's cell phone next week so that he doesn't take any more pictures to post on Twitter because yeah, it, it's very very creepy and
0: he's gonna he's gonna be I looking out the window. A, he's gonna be looking like through Mike McDaniel's window at one point, being like, mm, "So buttery," <laughs> and then get arrested. That's that's the next logical leap, in, yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, that's the next logical leap here in judgment.
2: I guess. There's so many good memes that can come from this buttery thing. I'm I'm so looking forward to overusing this joke. I, I guess I the blessing
1: wait. that our local media does not uh, think Bill Belichick is swaggy or drippy or icy or anything when he wears his hoodies because, you know, we don't have to be subjected but, to this But
0: could he be the perfect compliment to Mike McDaniel because Belichick is salty? Yeah little little I like what you did
2: there I, 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 like I think Bill a butter, is, yeah. it
0: took me it took me a while yeah, yeah I'm, I'm gonna yeah, i to I'm get gonna there, go man. take a <laughs> yeah, uh, listen I'm gonna go take a take a lap I'm sure Ironhead will will be rolling his eyes after hearing that one so I'll I'll be back in a minute taking a Yeah what
1: wh- wh- while you're taking that lap we're we're going to go to final thoughts uh, Joe what's your final thought
2: Yeah, so I'll keep it short, kind of just on the theme of what's going on today. Um, really, really, really excited for, for football season. Um, I also, I obviously, I don't want to wish summer away, but the first week of football season is always very therapeutic, right? It's like 82 degrees, you got a breeze coming in, good beer on the couch, and eight hours of football, right? Um, I'm really, really excited for, for this upcoming Patriots season. Not obviously because I'm a diehard Patriots fan, but. This finally feels like the first year post-Brady where I have, I always have insane confidence and I'm always irrationally positive, right? I am incredibly excited and looking forward to a successful Patriots season. Um, I think we're in a really good spot, obviously, with Mac. Um, I I love Mac Jones now. I was indifferent at first at the draft pick, to be completely honest with you, and I was to my... Uh, Not smart on my end, but he's been fantastic. His development is going to be great. Um, And I think this is the first year where it's going to be a Belichick fuck you season. It's going to be a Belichick, hey, I'm not getting the credit I deserve because of Brady's success. I think people are going to finally – I mean, people will never admit it, right, but it's going to be one where we're all on Twitter being obnoxious saying, yeah, Belichick's still that fucking dude. Belichick's still the fucking man. And like Rob was saying – He does not give a shit about what anyone says or anyone thinks. We're going to, people who are wishing Belichick away, people who are, the Brady agenda, people who are doing all that are going to be so wrong when Belichick leaps and we have, no one is going to fill those shoes. Those shoes are going to be harder to fill than I think Brady's are. We we take for granted every single day this man's genius that what he's done on a week to week basis. There's so many small stories of, of decisions he made. I mean, when he took the when he took the wind against the Broncos in that comeback game in twenty thirteen. Like there's so many of those moments that you forget, subbing in Malcolm Butler to get the interception. It's it's there's just so many things that, that we forget about. The, the In the Ravens divisional round of, of the Malcolm Butler Super Bowl run, when they were doing the, the weird O-line special rules where Who Man was getting 15-yard receptions, that and then Harbaugh was crying like a bitch, and that's the whole kind of what started the whole deflate gate thing. There's so many little nuggets of Belichick's excellence, and I think this is the first year, obviously um, – Right, and, and and Bill just pointed out in the chat, running the clock before Butler as well, and not and not taking that time out and freaking out, which ninety nine percent of these coaches would. All these trendy young coaches, these guys love because they go for two and they go on for it on fourth down, and they're cool with the media, right? There's it's it, there's so many small nuggets, we could do a whole podcast of them of, of, of Belichick's excellence, which is proven. But but I think this is the first year we can say and me confidently can can push the belichick agenda Like obviously the cam year was a lost year and there was it, we were all still kind of didn't know how to feel about the brady leaving and whatnot and last year was hey if he's great it's gravy he's a rookie and he made developments and it was fantastic last year was a lot of fun i think this year coming up is something to really look forward to as a patriots fan post brady the last two years obviously have been tough they've been a ride and seeing seeing brady be successful is is hard for me i'm not gonna lie i I like the guy. Uh, It's like I'm like a petty ex-girlfriend. Seeing him be successful is difficult for me because I have to see the obnoxious, horrible anti-Belichick takes, which is a shame because obviously it's both of them. They're both fantastic. But this is the year where I'm going to push the Belichick agenda. Belichick is that fucking dude. Belichick, as they said to Kenny Pickens, Belichick is him, whatever that stupid term is. This is the year where Belichick flexes his muscles and you see why he's the greatest coach of all time and why we're going to miss him when he's gone. Well,
1: Joe, that was a steam of consciousness that I'm here for. So I appreciate it.
2: Um, I will always <laughs> push that agenda for you, Shaq. Uh,
1: Rob, um, it's been awesome having you on the show. Uh, what's your final thought?
3: Uh, my final thought is kind of jumping off what uh, Joe was saying. Like I am as – I'm always fired up for football season – I'm especially fired up for this particular football season. I think he's right. I think, you know, with Brady leaving, resetting the salary cap, doing all the things that, that they needed to do in order to get back to a level of consistent sustain, s- sustainability, which is where Belichick likes to live, as opposed to where can I go manipulate the cap here for this year to sign these guys. Belichick likes to have that consistent sustainability, staying under the cap, doing the things that he needs to do to run a, a, a decent – franchise a good solid franchise and I feel like it took two years to reset the cap get the free agents in that he needed you know then get into the draft where I'm sure he probably had Mac Jones and Barmore and all these guys on their radar for a while get these guys in get all these other guys and get this team I think he's finally got the team right where he wants it and nobody saw the Cincinnati Bengals coming last year whether that was a flash in the pan or not but you know I think when you had you if you factor in Bill Belichick and they're rerunning a lot of these, old the, the classic 2021 games on NFL Network. The other day they had the Patriots-Bucks game, which I have not been able to bring myself to watch since. And I threw it on and I sat down and I watched it. And what jumped off the screen to me was Mac Jones. It was, if you were like, remember the, amount of scrutiny and pressure and media attention and everything that was going on in that game. Everybody looked at it and thought, well, all the heat's on Brady, all the heat's on Brady. No, it wasn't. All the heat in my eyes was on Mac Jones. That's where the heat was because if Mac Jones went out there on national television with a hundred million people watching, like it was the Super Bowl, and shit himself, then that would have been the narrative going forward for the season, but he didn't. And he threw a pick in that game when they were down three, nothing. The defense holds him to another field goal. It's six nothing. Patriots get the ball back and Mac Jones turns around, drives him right down the field and scores a touchdown. And you could make the argument he outplayed Brady in that game, in my opinion. But so he showed up on that stage. And then in the Cowboys game that year, they re ran that game too. He threw the pick six, you know, to, um, uh, Trayvon Diggs. He throws the pick six to Diggs, comes right back. The next throw goes right back at him and, you know, and it's a touchdown. These are the types of things that that rookies aren't supposed to do. These are the types of things that the media should have been focusing on and saying, you know, forget about all this stuff. These are the intangible things that that rookies aren't supposed to do that Matt Jones is doing now. Now, as we said earlier, going into year two with, you know, a deep, the depth on this team is, again, one of the more underreported stories of training camp. Look at that receiving room right now. You know, they may not have the, quote, unquote, WR1 but they have about six twos. So when it's third and eight, you don't know where it's going. You know, when you add in those receivers, the two tight ends, Jonathan Smith looks like he's starting to figure it out. The running back room is stacked. The offensive line is, is ready to go. I think Heron, you know, as the swing tackle, is makes me a lot more comfortable than I was last year in case we have an injury in the O-line. The defense will figure it. You know, I'm just really excited about this team. I don't think people realize how good this team could be if the chips fall where they, where they're going to fall. So, and stop focusing on who's calling the plays. My God, enough of that already. So that, that's my final thought is I am fired up for this season.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Rob, I, I mean, and again, that, 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 if you're not after that, then you haven't, then you shouldn't be listening to this podcast. I mean, just saying, uh, Bill, after you are Finish your lap. What's your final thought?
0: Well, I'm a little winded, but you know the first two thoughts are giving me the energy to push through. Um, so, you know, kind of tying into Rob and Joe's a little bit, I think that my take goes into the play caller, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator thing. But something to point out is that all of the things we've talked about today—the salary cap positioning, the offensive, defensive coordinators, the defensive scheme, the development of the players—all speaks to Belichick understanding the mistakes that other teams in the division made while the Patriots were really, really good with Brady for 20 years. He's not sitting there saying, I'm going to throw money at the problem. I'm going to just get a bunch of talent in and figure it out. I'm going to, you know, we're going to replace this person every couple of years. He wants to find the right people in the right spots, both on and off the field, so that they can contend with a team like Buffalo, who is very clearly not just like a flash in the pan type of team. They're a super talented team. And they want, you want to compete with that team. You've got to build the right way. And teams did too many false starts at that over the lifespan of the Patriots during 2000 to 2018. And I think Belichick identifies that. And that leads me to, you know, the the coordinators. People like to talk as if the naming of offensive and defensive coordinators was a unique happening to not name either one. The fact of the matter is, in most instances where they were naming new offensive or defensive coordinators, they left it open for a year. I mean, you can go all the way back to Belichick's first year as head coach. He left the defensive coordinator open his first year as head coach. He brought Weiss with him, and then he named, you know, he didn't name uh, McNe- uh, rather Cornell until 2001. Then when Weiss and Cornell both left, he named Mangini, who was waiting in the wings, and he perceived as ready for that step, but didn't name somebody on the offensive end. This has continued on through. There have been very few exceptions. The real exceptions were Bill O'Brien and Eric Mangini. And I think he feels like naming Mangini bit him in the backside a little bit because Mangini wasn't ready for a head coaching job. And he was telling him he wasn't before he went off to the Jets. He was trying to protect him. The guy went against sort of against the, the grain with Belichick. And that led to some of the animosity there between the two. And so I think he looks at that as like, I want to put people in those positions when they're ready to make that leap. And maybe he's saying they're ready to call plays, they're ready, but they're not ready for the level of responsibility, the full level of responsibility without some extra support in hands, or we're spreading it out so that money can be paid to, you know, we have two head coach, former head coaches on our staff that are being paid by two other organizations and we're going to let them pay the bill, but we're going to know who the play caller is, who the coordinator is. Maybe they're doing a run and pass coordinator. There are plenty of teams that also have co-offensive or defensive coordinators in different circumstances, and when you do that, is two better than zero, or is two the same as zero? Like th- this is the thing, and people like to be like, well, he's only done this three times in 22 years. He had McDaniel's for like 12 of them. You're talking like that's like saying, oh, we haven't named a pre- we haven't elected a president in three years. Well, yeah, because we only elect one every four. That's what we do. Those are the rules. That, that's how we follow this. When somebody is in the job, we don't replace them unless we fire them. And since we've not fired a, a, a an offensive coordinator in the entire Belichick era, I'm going to go ahead and say that you really need to take this into account with the number of replacements, not the number of years. And on par, they have largely decided to go with a committee approach for at least one year, maybe with somebody taking the soft leadership responsibility and making sure it's a good fit for them, and then they move forward. It does not mean they don't have the hierarchy. It does not mean that there's somebody in charge of calling plays. It does not mean that anybody's feelings are hurt or anybody is confused. The only people that are confused are the media and the people who listen to them that are spewing this narrative that the actual title matters. They're sitting there like Dwight in the office with the, little flow chart dangling flow chart he had where he's like oh here's you know michael is the manager and you can report here and you can jump there and do this but if you give me complete control then i look over all of it It, it's the most annoying thing that can possibly be talked about because it matters 0.0 to anybody in the building The only thing it does is lead to the questions and Belichick tries to dismiss them as much as he can, but clearly the easiest road for him would be to name an offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. So it should tell people that it matters and is beneficial to the process they build internally that he doesn't, because it would just be easier for him to name one and be done with it. The fact he doesn't tells us that there's benefit to it right now, probably financially with the, with the lions and giants paying some of the salaries for judge and uh, Patricia, but also, from the history of it, that there's benefit to building out his coaching staff over time, and to continuing to have a strong funnel of coaches within the w- within the the ranks there.
1: Yeah, that, that's great. These these cool this that coordinator crap is just so annoying right. and matters nothing. That coordinator crap. So, Ugh. my final thought is going to be. It's going, it's going a little bit to the left of everyone else's final thoughts, as I'm one to do. But I don't know if anyone has heard about the new um, streaming service, NFL Plus. Um, and I, I recommend you don't pay for it. I mean, not specifically because it's uh, another Roger Goodell special, but and and anything Roger Goodell does turns to shit. But It's not the only way to watch live games on your phone. And by the way, that's the only way you can use NFL Plus on your phone at this rate. So, I mean, I I do admire the balls that they have if they begin to charge people for football coverage that used to be free. But um, apparently with the streaming service, you can watch all in-market and nationally televised games for $5 a month. But again, only with a phone or a tablet. You can't get live games on your television. You can't get it with Chromecast or AirPlay mirroring or HDMI adapter. I know this is nerdy stuff, so you can fast forward if you, if you don't want to um, hear this. But, uh, yeah, don't, don't sign up for this. If, instead of rewarding the league's greed with yet another subscription service, consider all the ways that you can nearly get the same on-the-go NFL coverage at no cost. And by the way, you can't watch outside, you can't watch games outside of your home market either. So... Um like for example for me or for Rob who are not in the Boston market, we can't watch Patriot games with NFL plus because we're not in the same market. So why pay why are we paying that for four ninety nine or whatever for this? So it makes no sense. Anyway, um as a reminder, if you're paying for local channels and ESPN is part of a cable or satellite or streaming TV package, then you won't need NFL Plus anyway. And then if you have YouTube TV like I do then you can tune in to the NFL games or watch the appropriate channel. And it also has NFL Red Zone. It also has the NFL Network. And Hulu and FUBU and DirecTV Stream also have that too. So just keep that in mind. It makes no sense. And you can also do it over the air. You can also do it with, with the DVR. There's so many other ways to do it. There's Peacock. There's Paramount+. Plus. There's Amazon Prime. That's going to have Thursday Night Football games specifically this past year. So, you know, if you're really that die-hard of an NFL fan that you must watch every game on your phone, then then that's the only way I would recommend this. But otherwise, stay away from it and don't reward Roger Goodell because he's an asshole. And I would employ you to just not do that. <laughs> so that that's gonna do it for us today. Um, first podcast in three months. I think it was awesome. Um, uh, depending on who you ask, um, it probably was was shitty. Um, so. Uh, that's gonna do it for us. Um, you can follow Bill at the Fib 0624. You can follow Joe at Joe Savignano, you can follow Rob at fan54 underscore Pats, and you can follow me at Atomic Dog5150. You can follow entitled weekend at entitled weekend on Twitter. Email us at entitledweekend at gmail.com. That motherfucking radio. And until next time.